you have your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 5. We pick up again our series in Nehemiah uh, entitled Repairing the Ruins. And what we're learning as we look through this book of Nehemiah is that when we rely on God alone, and only when we rely on God alone, are we able to repair the hardships, the disappointments, the frustrations, and those things that life throws at us, that we can overcome those, we can repair those situations when we rely on God alone. And in fact, this is what we see when we look at the book of Nehemiah. We see God accomplishing this amazing thing through people that weren't qualified to do it. They were the the jewelers, the perfumers. They were not masons or builders, yet God used them in a mighty way to build this wall, to reconstruct this wall. And so we learn that God is able to do amazing things through His people when they rely on His ability to do it. If you will, read with me from Nehemiah chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 1 through 13 today as we look at this story and how we can overcome the things the world throws at us. In Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers, for there were those who said, With our sons and daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There are also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers and our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not our power to help it. For other men have our fields, our vineyards, and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I looked and I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials and said to them, You are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you have even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find any word to say. So I said, the thing you are doing is not good. Ought you not walk in fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I, I and my brothers have, and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and their percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that we have been exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We all do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the field of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep his promise. So we may be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. If you will pray with me as we ask the Spirit to guide us through this time. Father God, we, we come today to hear your truth, God, to, to look at your truth, your words, God. I just pray that, that I submit to your Spirit, God, that, that this truth that is told, God, would not be what I want it to be, God, but I'd be submissive to your Spirit as I proclaim your truth, God, that we would see your truth, we would hear your truth, we'd experience 
your spirit in our lives so that we might live our lives to bring glory to you and you alone, God. We just thank you that you have given us this truth that we can hear from you, God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so what we see here is this idea that that community is such a hard thing to do. Living with people, living alongside people is a hard thing to do because when you live closely with someone, we get to experience the hard parts about who they are. And, And community is this time and this that we're called to is a hard thing to do because people are hard to be around sometimes. But this is exactly what God has called us to do. He's called us to live in community. And so when we live in community and we see that, we realize quickly that there's a, a problem with community. And it's, it's not always good to talk about this negative aspect of something. You don't want to talk about the, the bad part of something. We always want to focus on the good. But what we see when we look in community, when we try to live amongst each other, as God called us to, is that there's often a problem with that community. And we need to see that it's not that we shouldn't abandon community because of that problem. And, and in fact, that's what we're called to do is live in community. If we look back in Acts 2, Acts 2.46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. So they see here that they're living with all people. If you read on further in Acts, you see that they were selling their possessions and giving to those who had need. And so they were living in this community. It doesn't mean that it was good all the time, but they lived in this community for each other, experienced each other, celebrated with each other, suffered with each other. And we see that we can't leave that community behind now because that's what we've been called to. And we can even go further back. If we go into Deuteronomy 7, we see, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. God has chosen people to be in community with each other because that's who we see in God. When we look at the character and nature of God, we see that He is a a triune God, that He is living in community within Himself, each person of the Trinity bringing glory to the other person and magnifying the other person within that community. And that's what He's called us to. He's called us to be His people, to reflect His glory to the world. And what an amazing thing that is. God chose a people not based on merit, not based on what we've done, but based on His love so they could be His people. We are treasured by God. We are chosen by Him, a treasured possession for His glory. He's a God that chooses people. Not the strongest, not the biggest, not the most successful. In fact, if you look at the, New, the Old Testament, you'll see that most of the time, the people that God used weren't the ones that people would have chosen. But He chose them. Do you get that? We are part of God's plan. He has chosen you, sent His Son to save you, adopted you, clothed you with His Son's righteousness, and now He uses you in His redemptive plan. We are doing that right now. What we are doing right now as Watershed Church is part of God's redemptive plan. We are chosen for this time to be used by our God to bring glory to His name. Watershed is God's tool and it's being used by Him and we're experiencing Him. If we see this, it doesn't lose, it's not lost to us, this idea of looking at Nehemiah. We, we planned this series 
well in advance of what's happening now with the land that, that we're able to purchase and being planted deeper in the community. And so now as we're studying this book, Nehemiah, we see that God, just as he used and chose the people of Israel to rebuild the wall to display his glory, now we are experiencing him do the same thing with watershed and, and doing things that only point to him. That He's the only one that is allowing these things to happen. That we can't point to us, but we can point to him. And so we are used by God at this time in redemptive history to bring glory to his name, to point to where he is working. We are experiencing God move in our community that is watershed. And that's one of the, my favorite things that I like to tell people about is that we see God moving and we see God moving more and more as we look to integrate the gospel into lives through mission and with worship. The gospel is the lifeblood for community. But see, this is where the problem begins. When we look at the gospel, if we see the truth of the gospel, we see this is where the problem of community begins. Because if we see the gospel, we understand the gospel, we realize that we are sinners. We are sinners in need of a Savior, and thankfully God has given us His Son, but we are so caught up sometimes this, in this natural sinful self, and our, our sinful desires overcome us, that that creates this problem in community. It's because we are sinners by nature that we see a problem within community. And therefore, we must remember the gospel in community because while it points out that we are sinners, it also reveals to us that we've been saved by grace, not from our own works, but because of God loved us so much that he sent his only son. This doesn't mean that community has to be bad. And in fact, it means that we can overcome this problem in community and we can build a community that reflects God's glory to those around us and that's exactly what we see in Nehemiah today if we're going to fix the problem with community we first have to realize that we are the cause of the problem look again at verses one through five with me it says now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. We see that, that these, when we look at what's happening here in chapter 5, chapter 4 we looked at and it was these terroristic threats coming from outside, so much so that they were working with their sword at the ready, that there was never a stop in the defense because of these threats coming from those outside. But what happens in chapter 5 is there's a switch, that the problem then is not an external problem, but it's an internal problem. There's this outcry against their Jewish brothers. Why? For those who have said that we have sons and daughters are many, so let's get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said we're mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of famine. And there were those who said we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Now our flesh is the flesh of our brothers and our children or as their children. So what we see here is in these first few verses, these first five verses, the problem with the Jewish community at this time in Jerusalem is themselves. They're feeding off of each other. You would think that what they were accomplishing, because remember, the whole problem, the whole wall took 52 days to build. So we're within the, the middle of that, just a short time, and they're already not coming together. You would think a community that is seeing God do such an amazing thing, that they're building this wall that no one thought they could build, that, that they would be drawn together, that would, they would be tighter. But in fact, they've forgotten who they are in God and therefore they're feeding off of each other when there's hardships. 
Yes, there were bad times. Yes, there were hard times. There were famine. People were so busy with the wall that they were neglecting their families. And so naturally, they reverted back to their selfish ways. And we might at this time look and think, well, it was a famine. This is a a hard time. But if we look throughout the Old Testament, oftentimes a famine is a result of God's judgment against the leaders for not doing what was right in God's eyes. So even the famine could be explained as a result of themselves, that they are a cause of their own problem. And so instead of seeing who they are, they then are drawn to their selfish desires and they start taking money from people. They start taking children as slaves, as collateral for debt that is owed. They start borrowing people, borrowing money from people, but charging, being paid interest and charged interest. If you look at the study notes of the Reformation Study Bible, they explain the situation this way. It says, times are so bad that children are being sold into slavery, houses and vineyards are being mortgaged, and money is being borrowed at interest. The crushing realization for Nehemiah. See, he understands it. What they're saying here is Nehemiah understands that the crushing realization is that the people of God themselves are forcing these intolerable measures on each other, not the foreigners. See, Nehemiah understood it. As their leader, he was appointed leader. He sees this first. When this outcry happens, he realizes that the truth is that they themselves are the cause of the problem. And we are also the same. When times get hard, we feed off each other. When opportunity strikes, we take what is ours. And it made me think of our Easter egg hunt last week. We had a, we had a situation to where Barb's son, Connor, was going his bag ripped. And so all of his eggs emptied onto the ground. And, and all the kids around, what did they do? They just took what was there. They just, it was scavengers just leapt on it. And almost everything that he had had been taken. And while it's a, it's a funny story, I felt sorry for Connor. It was a funny situation and I felt sorry for him. But what we see in there is our nature as well. Is that at the moment when we could have helped someone, we take from them. And so what we see here is that it might not be money or possessions in, within the community that we're taking, but, but oftentimes it's time. On one hand, you have a person that takes everyone else's time and energy. They dominate the, the time of someone else. That everything that they do, they bring up in conversation is dominated by their problems or their priorities. And so they're, they're taking a toll on this other person because they're demanding all of their time. Sure, their needs are good and sometimes urgent. But they often fail to stop and think about the effects that it's causing on the other person's life or in the other person's family. They're dominating their time. They're taking everything that they can from this person and as a result, community falls down. But on the other side is a person that gives way too much time. This can be just as bad towards community because these people end up helping others so much that they're enabling to live the way that they are. That they give so much time that they don't allow the other person to live a life of their own. They functionally become this person's savior and joy instead of seeing Jesus as their ultimate savior and their true and highest joy. And as a result, community breaks down. It doesn't flourish. There are many other ways, but time right now seems to be the most important because we all have a limited amount of time and we all fill it up so quickly. We cannot allow ourselves to be drawn in by our sinful desires 
and our communities suffer because of it. We first, to fix the problem of community, we first must realize that we are the cause of the problem. And the next step into fixing that problem is to put others first, to put others first. And I realize I just talked about someone giving all of their time away and helping someone else too much, but that's not what I'm talking about here. We're first allowing ourselves to take a back seat. When times are hard or things get bad, we need to jump in and help someone else instead of jumping in and get ours. We need to look at those within our community in a way to help instead of in a way to get ours. And this is the instruction, in fact, that Nehemiah gave to his people as their leader. And in verse 6 he says, I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. And what an amazing response there. What an awesome and amazing, truthful response. And what we see there is long before Paul talked about getting angry, we see in Nehemiah getting angry yet not sinning. He was angry when we heard about this. He heard about this and it, it frustrated him, made him mad at this situation that his people were in. But what did he do? He took counsel with himself. That's what he says in verse 7. I took counsel with myself and then I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. So he was angry and frustrated when he first heard what was happening, but he stepped back. It's almost, as you can see, and if you read further, that he himself was, was doing this. They were lending money to people. And so he's, he stepped back, and, and you can see here almost to where it's like he preached the gospel to himself and realized to what he was doing first. He took counsel with himself. He, he collected his thoughts before he just exploded in frustration on the others. And really, that's what our general response to sin should be. We should be angry, but we should take counsel with ourselves first. And so what does he say to them? I brought charges against the nobles and officials. And I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. And so he gathered all the people and he said, he said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers. We've, we've been brought in from exile. We've, God has brought us in from exile and now what we see here is that you're selling each other to yourself and so you've been brought out of exile you've been bought back out of exile and now you're just doing the very same thing to yourself have we been sold to the nations but even you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us and they were silent and couldn't find a word to say because what happens is when you realize that you're part of the problem, you don't have a response because the truth of who you are is there. And in that moment when Nehemiah confronts them, we understand and they understand who they were as sinners. He shows them what they were doing wrong and he shows them by making it a gospel issue. He makes it a gospel issue and we understand in verse 9 he says, So I said, the thing you are doing is not good. So he tells them, this is not good what we're doing. Ought you not walk in the fear of our Lord? What an amazing argument. He's saying that we should live our lives based on this reverent fear of God. And when we do that, then we'll put other people first. Only when we do that are we able to take a back seat. Then put God first and put other people first. And so he's saying that this isn't good Ought we not walk in the fear of our God? Because in, in to what? 
we should walk the fear of God to prevent the taunts from the nations of our enemies. Isn't that the exact same thing that we see happening in society right now? Is the church is being attacked. Why? Because we are not walking in the fear of God. We're allowing ourselves to be devoured from within. Our community is becoming less structured and cooperative within each other. Therefore, society is taunting us. And so we should go back to this. We should walk in the fear of our God. We should live our lives in the fear of our God. But how do we do that? What, do we, what does that look like to walk in step with fear of our God? And to do that, we need to see then what type of person we are. Are we a person that puts other people first? Or are we a type of person that puts other people first to say that we are? Because see, what happens often is we're going to place someone ahead of us, but we're doing so, we're, we're putting them ahead so that we can then come back and say, look what I've done. Look what I've done. You help other people to point to the fact that you're helping them because in doing that, you're not truly putting them first. You're placing them ahead of you to actually bring yourself higher esteem. That's not truly putting someone first. It's like the humble brag. Look what I've done. That's not at all living in fear of God. But on the other side, we have people that don't even care about everyone else. They take care of themselves. They've been caught up in the lie that God helps those who help themselves. And not only is that statement not the gospel, it's actually opposite of the gospel because in the gospel we realize that God didn't help people that help themselves. God helped us who were incapable of helping ourselves. God doesn't help those who help themselves. He helped those who had no possible way of helping themselves and he brought us out of sin and death and clothed us in the righteousness of his son Jesus Christ. So we need to truly put other people first if we want to fix this problem with community and we do so by investing in the lives of others. One of the biggest ways we've seen someone like this is from the life of George Mueller. Here we have a, a picture of him. It's kind of a, an odd, kind of almost creepy picture of, of George Mueller. But what we see in his life, if you research it, and, and if you've ever heard of him, you're, you're likely going to find out about the orphans that he helped. Over Something over 10,000 orphans through his life that were helped by him, never once asking people for anything but trusting God and praying to God that he would provide and he did but there's the story I want to tell you involves five of his friends he had this these group of five friends that weren't Christians and what he did is he committed to praying for their salvation specifically and he did he started praying started praying for these five friends and that they would receive Christ that they would be saved that God would call them into his family and adopt them as sons and after five years, two of them were, were saved and accepted Christ. And so he continued. He had three more on his list, and he continued to pray. And then after 20 years, one more accepted Christ. So he prayed for 20 years for this one to accept Christ. And then he had two left of this group of five friends, and he continued to pray for them for a total of 40 years. He prayed for the salvation of these beseeching God pleading God to save these men and he prayed for 40 years up until he died never seeing those two men come to Christ in fact within a year 
of his death, both of those accepted Christ. What an amazing story of putting someone else above them, asking and pleading with God to save them for 40 years. I don't even, I can't even understand that. I haven't even been alive for 40 years, much less think about praying specifically for the salvation of some of my friends for 40 years. But that's the type of person we have to be if we're going to build community. Prayer is the beginning of a transformed community. So do you pray for the people of Watershed? Do you pray for the other people in this community? Not just saying that you do. And and if, because if we're honest, how many times do we say, I'll pray for you, but never do it? We forget about it. And it's almost like, I'll pray for you means I I want you to feel better about it. But in fact, I'm going to forget about it and actually never even do that. We can't afford to be that way. Prayer is the highway of the transformed community. We have to pray for each other, plead with God on behalf of one another. And if prayer is the highway then of that transformed community, then asking questions is the access road to that. We must stop talking and ask questions. Not just general, how are you questions, but truly ask questions and get into the lives of the other people in our community so that we can plead with God on their behalf. To be people marked with prayer because that is how we place other people ahead of us. We have to stop talking. We have to put ourselves at the background and ask questions of those within our community so that we can pray and plead with God on behalf of them. And only then will we truly have the heart to serve those instead of ourselves. We can truly see that it is God that changes people's lives, not us. And that's the last way, and that's the final way where we can solve this problem with community. Is we need to realize that we are the cause of the problem. We need to realize that we need to place other people before ourselves. And ultimately, we need to look to the Lord. Do you look to the Lord in your life? Do you seek Him in your life? Do you seek after Him with your life? Have you submitted your life to them? Because if you haven't, He is the only true joy. He is the only way that our lives can be fixed. We cannot put our trust in anything but Jesus Christ Himself. Our community cannot be fixed apart from Him. Our lives cannot be fixed apart from Him. Sure, we can offer stability to people. We can offer help and guidance to people, but it is only looking to the Lord and seeking Him and pointing them to Jesus Christ will they ever truly be saved. Will they ever truly be fixed is through Him. And this is exactly what we see Nehemiah do. If we look in verse 12, then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And so his, his confrontation has, has worked. He showed them the error of their ways and where they were causing the problem with community and pointed them to placing other people first. And they say, we'll do what you say. But he understands. It's almost like the, I can pray for you, but not really praying for you. As Nehemiah understands the heart of these people. And he, and he says, so I called the priests and made them swear to do as they promised. It's an amazing thing here. He says, they, they respond to his leadership. They respond to what he's saying. And then he says, no, you come and you swear. You make this oath, this vow that that's what you're going to do. He understands that people often promise things, but they can't deliver. 
And so he goes a step further and says, no, you will swear to this and to do as you promised. But if that's not enough, he gives them a visual. The first part of verse 13 says, And I shook out the fold of my garment. What he's talking about there is that their clothes were, were bound at the waist. And so he's shaking out that, that mid part and spreading that out. And then what he's saying there is what? So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep his promise so that he may be shaken out and emptied. And so what he's pointing there too is that if we don't keep our promise, we don't look to the Lord as if, that, that we deserve nothing more than God to shake us out. That if we don't turn to the Lord, if we don't look to the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're not going to do as we've promised. We're not going to be able to follow through on our promises. We're not going to be able to build community because He is the only one that can fix broken people. And that's exactly what happens. At the end of verse 13, it says, and all the assembly said, Amen, Amen. They placed it in Him. That's what that word's talking about. It's putting it in a secure place. It's a secure place. And what? Praised the Lord. And the people did as they promised. They placed their promise in the Lord. They looked to the Lord and praised Him. And that's exactly what we need to see from this. Is that when we're down and life is difficult, we need to realize that we need to look to the Lord for help. That's why the Psalm in one twenty one, Psalms one twenty one is so important. It says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. Where does my help come from when life seems unlivable? Where does our help come from when tragedy strikes and our life is in chaos and community is ruined and people are selfish? Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. The Lord alone, the maker of heaven and earth. When we see who we are in the gospel, and we see the beautiful picture of who Jesus Christ is, we realize that that is where our help comes from. That He fixes community. We need to look to the Lord to live the life that He's called us to live because only in Him will we find that. And we find that through the gospel. And in fact, that's what Martin Luther said. The truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. The truth of the gospel. And then he goes on and says, it's most necessary, it is that we know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. Do you do that? Do you teach the gospel to yourself and to others, do you beat it into your head continually? This isn't just to wake up and remind yourself of the gospel. It's to live continually through the truth of the gospel that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, yet made alive in Christ. So we look to the Lord to sustain us through life. So what is the truth of the gospel? It's what we talked about last week. in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received. This is the first importance. This is the gospel that what? Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. That's the truth of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins. He bore our sins on the cross so that we might live through his death. We were clothed in his righteousness. The gospel tells us that we didn't deserve this. Yet God chose us before the foundations of the world. 
to be a people of himself. And we need to continually remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. So that way we truly look to the Lord and see that he is the only hope to fix the problem with community. If we want to live within community as we've been called to live, then we look no further than Jesus Christ himself. Because that is where our help comes from. The maker of the heaven and earth. Then, when we look at who Christ is, we realize that we can live in community because we see that even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as ransom for many. And there we see the ingredients of community. That we are not to be served, but we are to serve others. We look to the Lord and His example of serving when He was the King the creator of the heavens and the earth came not to be served, but to serve us. So when we look to him and we gaze upon his beauty, we see the way we are supposed to live. Because God is a good father. And he wants his children to live with us in community like he himself is. And we see again when we look at the character of who God is in the Trinity with the Father, Son, and the Spirit, each one living in perfect community, exalting the other one as the other one exalts him. And that's exactly what we want. That they're all equal yet distinct and they all point to bring glory to the other one. And that's what we should do in community. We should look to raise the other person in community and as a result someone else is raising us and we're all ultimately lifting each other up because we're all looking at the Lord because he is the reason that we can live in community Jesus Christ is the only way that we will find a solution to the problem in our lives and ultimately then in our communities because the problem begins with us and it is solved in the person of Jesus Christ and so we look at him in everything that we do. And when we see His beauty, perfect community is what happens when we live our lives in submission to Him and Him alone. Let's pray.